This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The big story today, obviously, going to be the weather. Another winter storm. I shouldn't say, I guess it's how many have we had? Well, last day, I think this is like the second. Uh, I don't think it's been too bad a winter for us. Southern Ontario, the next couple of days, uh, going to get hit pretty hard. To talk more about all of this, everyone's favorite weatherman, Dave Phillips, is with us from Environment Canada. He is on the line now. Hello, David. How are you today? Scott, I'm well, uh, and uh, just uh, waiting for the storm to arrive. It started a few flakes of falling here. I see you've had about three hours of light snow, nothing to worry about right now. And uh, so, uh, you know, you always feel a little happier when it... Uh, when it begins to snow when you said it was going to. (laughs) You know what, Dave? That's funny that you should say that because my wife and I were talking about this this morning. We're looking on our phone and we're saying, in our area, it looks like it's going to start about 10 a.m. And sure enough, like 10.05, it starts to flurry. It really is amazing what you can do now. It's your watch to it. You're right. And it doesn't always work that way. It does in the Caribbean where, you know, it (laughs) rains always at 10, uh, you know, at at 4.35 in the afternoon. Yeah, exactly. So, so, uh, how many of these, is this really the second only major storm we've had this year? Yeah, I think you're right, Scott. I heard you say that right off before you began talking to me. I said, wow, you've got a good memory with regards to the uh, the winter. It's not been a tough, it's been what I'd call, what our ancestors would call a soft and open kind of a, of a winter. You've had about half of the normal amount of snow you normally would get. Uh, and this will be the big one, because there was a big one there on... Um, Oh, I think it was about the 11th, 12th of of December. You got nine centimeters one day and nine the next. Well, you're going to clear more of that in one day than you got on those two days. But uh, this is, um, you know, typically you would get maybe one or two of these in a winter. So I don't think it's been too difficult. It's come near the end. So I always say, you know, what nature, what it giveth, it can also taketh away. So maybe you don't shovel, plow it, and push it because, uh, but no, it clearly is going to uh, to hit the Niagara area more than it will be in other parts of Ontario. It just happens to be uh, you're a little closer to the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> than, Boy. than we are where I live up in Barrie, which is snow country. So we, we try up here that the fact that wow uh, we often don't get less snow than in the GTA and the Niagara Peninsula. But in this case, you're closer to that center of it, a little bit of lake effect off of Lake Ontario with northeasterly winds. So, you know, you could see, Scott, uh, uh, certainly 20, 25, maybe even some cases 30 centimeters of snow. So, And then, of course, it's the blowing and the drifting and, uh, and what have you. So it makes it a little bit messy and a little bit uh, difficult. So will there be more in the GTHA than there will be up in traditional cottage country areas? And snowbelt areas. Real. And interesting, you say we've had about in in uh, just for example, Hamilton's had about uh, I would say about sixty five, maybe seventy centimeters of snow. Um, and I know you have a lot of people in, uh, in in Hamilton area that ski up in Collingwood and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they've had uh, maybe 300 centimeters of snow, uh, a lot of it lake effect. But in this case, because this powerful weather bomb, this, this uh, nor'easter is going to really hammer New York, uh, New England, and we'll have tentacles that reach out to uh, the Niagara Peninsula area, but uh, less so in the Toronto GTA. I mean, uh, we're calling about 10 to 15 centimeters there. Uh, further north, uh, Newmarket, up to Barrie, you might get 5 to 10, something like that. We'll all get the uh, the strong winds that could get up there to about 70 kilometers per hour, uh, so it means, you know, if you shovel it, you're going to have to do get rid of it two or three times, perhaps. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
that, so that's why I just uh, sort of let nature look after. The days are getting longer. The sun's a little higher in the sky. So there's some warmth into that March uh, air, even though it doesn't feel like it. But uh, it can certainly help get rid of it, too. And I understand that the way this uh, storm is tracking, it's not like a whole, it's going to be a quick thing where all of a sudden a whole pile in a short period of time is going to be spread out over a day or so. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Scott, because often, you know, I often say, you know, the uh, one of our great uh, fortunes with the weather in Canada is it hits and runs. Um, this one, because it's going to slow down a little bit, it's also emerging of really uh, one system coming off of the land and, and merging with one over the mid-Atlantic states, and so it's it's going to feed off that moisture and the energy from the from the Gulf Stream. So that really is why it explodes and energizes, gets kind of a second wind, and then it really barrels into parts of southern Quebec and the Maritimes. They always seem to get the the brunt of it uh, uh, with these these particular yeah. systems, but it does have some lingering effects. And so what we could see, for example, uh, uh, being not going to be too difficult until later tonight. The winds will pick up around the supper hour in the Hamilton area, and then the snows will begin a little heavier uh, midnight and into early tomorrow morning. And then we'll uh, see some flurry activities later in the day. So it looks like, you know, Scott, uh, more than a 24-hour uh, event, uh, not a six-hour, but a, hmm. more of a 24-hour plus. And so uh, that has a little bit more t- more time to spread its misery. So how much are we expecting in the Hamilton area? Well, uh, you know, it's a lot will depend upon exactly the track, the personality of the system as it gets, and really the core of it gets closer. Uh, in our forecast, we're talking about... Uh, you know, 15, 25 centimeters, but hey, in some of the more elevated areas, maybe 30 centimeters. So mm-hmm. it's quite a range there. We can't pin it down quite because it depends upon how long it takes and also uh, the elevation. You see some local differences. Some backyards will have 15 centimeters, but yeah. in higher areas, you might see, you know, up to, to 30. And then, of course, who knows, Scott? Because, yeah. you know, the <laughs> winds will blow it and drift yeah. it and. And it's, uh, you know, we can put a man on the moon, but we can't measure snow very accurately because it does all kinds of strange things when it does fall. But, um, hey, it certainly will be a white white surface. And then later in the week, we'll see some sun come out. But, you know, it's not over. I mean, I I often see that in Hamilton area, um, you know, you want it to end, but it does sometimes take its uh, sweet time. We generally see about... um, Sixteen percent of your annual snowfall occurs after this uh, date, and I can remind you: last year, the snowiest month of the entire winter was April. So, wow, it, yeah, um, <laughs> that's know, true. Sometimes you you have to be get re- reality. We don't go from slush to sweat. Uh, yeah. We we ease into this, and so. Uh, this doesn't look like it'll be any different this year. Uh, and this will be accompanied by high winds, which will obviously make it more yeah, treacherous. That's, that's, and that's a good point. I mean, it's the blowing and drifting. Uh, we're seeing winds that could be 40 to 60, uh, uh, maybe even reaching, they're gusting up to 60 and maybe even touching 70, as we see in some of our statements for the uh, Niagara uh, Peninsula area. So that, uh, you know, if you could hunker down, uh, you know, the storm stayed, uh, that would be a, a good thing. All right. Uh, joining us again, David Phillips, Environment Canada, and we are in the midst. Would this be classed as this winter storm warning at this point? Um, yes, we do have. Well, we uh, really in the Hamilton area, the Niagara Peninsula area, we, it's the only winter storm warning that we have for Ontario. We have a special weather statement for 
um, other locations uh, along the St. Lawrence. But really, when you look at our map and you see that red area, it just really hovers around the Hamilton-Niagara area. So that's where we think it will be the worst. David Phillips, Environment Canada. As always, David, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Over the weekend, the Canada Revenue Agency's online services uh, had a disruption. Back up and running now after being down. Uh, what's the cause? What happens? Uh, is this something to be concerned of moving forward? Is your information protected? To talk more about all of this, John Thompson is with us, Security Consultant, Strategic Intelligence Group, and he is with us now. Hello, John. How are you today? Not bad, Scott. Yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. So what did happen? What did, do we really have any sort of uh, concrete explanation as to what did happen over the weekend? Well, it seems that the, uh, they were doing routine maintenance on their site themselves. Um, and routine maintenance is a code word for, you know, what have we just learned about Internet security this week? Um, and notice that they had a whole that allowed them to be vulnerable. So they had to shut things down and repair it before uh, any information actually got out. So this is preventative maintenance as opposed to trying to patch something after it, something has leaked out? Yeah, it's not like it was with the uh, the heartworm virus a couple of years ago, I think in 2014, uh, when Revenue Canada found out they actually had been hacked and that, uh, you know, SIN numbers and other stuff had been uh, uh, purloined out of their site. And <clears throat> that shut them down for a while and was extremely embarrassing. And, you know, they wanted to prevent something like that from happening again, noticed a new vulnerability and... Uh, went and said, okay, bring everything to a halt. Let's get this fixed before we're embarrassed. What about the timing on this, John? Because obviously we're just heading into the tax season and such where people are just in the process of doing all of this. Uh, and, and obviously, is this to make, pe- make people feel more comfortable about jumping online and doing it? Or is this just bad timing from them for them on a PR uh, standpoint? Well, timing is timing. If, if yeah. this had been noticed in, you know, say, September, they wouldn't have minded. But yeah, this is the... Uh, the hectic season is coming upon them. So uh, that being said, is, should we feel safe about doing our taxes online and all of this sort of thing? Is there anything for customers to be concerned about? Well, I'm biased on that particular subject, but uh, Revenue Canada has certainly been trying to encourage people to uh, uh, file online. It's a lot easier. So you're biased. So what is your thoughts? Oh, no, just in, in my case, the... Uh, First time I e-filed, they disallowed all my physical receipt, all my uh, receipts, and uh, then I said, "Okay, what do you want me to do? Bring it, give you hard copy?" And <laughs> we've had that fight for years. So, how big an issue is this to have this happen now? It's it's not really. Um, I, it could have been worse, say, if it was uh, later. You know, in the last weekend of March, in which mm. when the you know the the flow onto their site is Titanic. Uh, lots of chatter lately about hacking and specifically with what's happening in the United States and, and even uh, Russia and such. Are we more sensitive to this now? So as soon as we hear of something like this, you know, our ears perk up? Well, ha- hacking is sort of the uh, is the new security threat. Uh, and actually, there are people out there. Well, they're not just people out there. I mean, there are whole countries out there that... Uh, are causing harm, and we sort of get the idea, I think, from you know Hollywood that uh, what you have to worry about is you know some spotty-faced guy in an internet cafe uh, 
uh, messing around with your computer. But um, the the Chinese the, and the Russians have almost military-sized units of cyber warriors out working and looking for ex- uh, things they can exploit and cause. Uh, and, the, you know, the Russians particularly have demonstrated an ability to... Uh, um, shut down the uh, national banks and other key institutions in countries that annoy them. I mean, even North Korea is getting into the game. Uh, North Korea, you were you you grow up without access to computers, but they've been trying to create uh, cyber warfare regiments. It's speculate. It's interesting to speculate how they possibly managed to train them, yeah, considering really. that you know these people have never picked up a computer before they uh, start training for these units. So it's 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 a hostile world out there, and uh, you know, this Canadian, you know, who shucks us, you know, reflex is, is getting to be a real liability. Uh, you said earlier uh, when when uh, officials caught this, they were you know uh, doing regular maintenance and this sort of thing, and you used the term of this week. In other words, looking for what they can find this week. Is this evolving so quickly? Are we ever prepared? Well, let's face it, most of us, we buy the software for our home computer, install it, and then once every year or so, we, uh, you know, if we're being prudent, we buy the update. In the meantime, we, we leave the uh, the performance of uh, your virus checker. You know, it'll turn on late on Wednesday night or whenever you have it when you're not using the computer and check. And that's all we think about it. But you really do have to, to pay attention to your security and, and pay attention to your passwords and, and all manner of other things and change them frequently. Is that the best advice you can give people on any of this? And does that help you with things like issues like with the Canada Revenue Agency? Would that even be a, a firewall to protecting you if in some way you were involved in these? Well, it, it does because it means the Canada Revenue Agency would have to have been penetrated thoroughly first, and they have to pay a lot more attention to their defenses uh, than the average Canadian homeowner does. What about, you know, we've often talked about online voting and this sort of thing. I mean, are we more comfortable about that now that we we see all of the cyber attacks and, and we're certainly becoming more sensitive uh, to, to what we've seen happen lately? Do you think we'll ever get there? We we could um, think about. I mean, think about the huge. Well, there's, pardon me, a vast quantities of stuff that is automated, and you never notice it. You know, just mm. people get concerned about perhaps the government snooping into their private affairs when they've surrendered their privacy to uh, credit card companies and their banks for years, and for the marketing companies that collect information on people. Um, there's vast amounts of information crawling around all the time, and but also if you think about it, the uh, you know <clears throat> the job offers you've got from Nigerian princes and uh, wealthy widows in Arab countries who would you know what you're seeing is a fraction of a tiny fraction of one percent that actually gets through. You know there there are screens out there that catch most of it, and most of the vulnerabilities that occur. Uh, again, have to prey on you opening up something that you shouldn't open up. Boy, people, do you think people even think of that sort of thing when they're going through their email and uh, stumble upon the sort of thing you're talking about? Well, all you have to do is make the wrong uh, make the wrong decision once, and you'll learn. Hopefully, learn the lesson. 
So lots of chatter recently, especially over the weekend, in regard to um, uh, Canada worried about Russia uh, getting involved in its election process or in somehow infiltrating uh, its cybersecurity the way that has happened in the United States. Uh, are we naive to think that this can't happen to us? Um, yeah, it, it, it's. I just mentioned a little bit earlier, but our, our sort of what I call the ah shucks reflex. The Canadians, we still often reflexively think of ourselves as small and unimportant. Uh, and, and so we get, you know, a terrorist group that's interested in getting into Canada. We get transnational crime here. And we're, we're very surprised because these are exotic problems for other people. They, they couldn't possibly be interested in us. And that often means we've had our defenses down in the past. And it's the same thing with cyber warfare. How concerned, uh, uh, do you think the Russians are concerned uh, with the whole Freeland thing and, and, and her sensitivity towards them? <laughs> That's another example of Internet behavior. Um, but if you stayed around on chat rooms discussing issues, you know, pretty soon you'll run into something. If you're, say, uh, looking into the Ukraine or uh, uh, Israel and the West Bank, you'll run into, you know, Gord or Alex, who doesn't speak English that well, you know. But if say if it's the Ukraine issue, he'll tell you that Kiev is in the, the middle of a fascist revival and has to be stopped. And suddenly you realize you're not dealing with somebody from uh, Musha or Braylorn. You're dealing with somebody who's working in a you know a boiler room in Moscow, and the, the Russians have again battalions of people working on. Uh, uh, foreign policy issues for them, getting around on chat rooms all over the internet and trying to convince people of their particular case. How do, is just another example. How do we stay ahead of this, John? Or do you ever? You're just it's like it's like walking into a room with a conversation going on. You just deal with it as you hear it or see that's, it. That's pretty much the case. Uh, you you have to know what's going on. You need to be aware of the nuances. Uh, and I think I grow some sophistication, especially when it comes to other issues. You know, for example, the, the current rash of hate crimes, and everybody accepts the immediate explanation that uh, A dislikes B, and something has happened to B, this must be A. Never mind, it could be C attacking A and pointing the finger at B, and then D abetting the attack in the interest uh, of E, and so on and so forth. I mean, be aware there there are levels of sophistication. You really have to think about what you're doing. You're bringing up an interesting point, and we've certainly seen the rise of this. Lots will will point to the election in the United States as the result of this. You're suggesting there's other things manipulating this far beyond that. Well, we're seeing that now, and the, the internet is again, it, it's like an iceberg. I mean, ninety percent of it we don't see. But it's been able to create levels of uh, discussion and currents we've not seen before. And to sort of take the old literalist mentality that what you see is what you have in front of you, you, know, that, that's, you can't do that anymore. Hmm. John Thompson has been with us, Security Consultant, Strategic Intelligence Group. John, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Uh, let's bring in Marvin Ryder to Group School of Business, uh, McMaster University, on this. Hello, Marvin. How are you today? Area. Hello, Marvin. How are you today? 
I'm fine, thank you, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Uh, as far as what has happened with uh, the Canada Revenue Agency, well, should this make people think twice or be cautious about filing taxes online? No, I don't think so. Uh, what I believe has happened here is that um, this website that they use, they had to use something from a third-party contractor. They got notification from the third-party contractor that there was some sort of a hole or bug that needed to be fixed. And the correct thing to do at that point was to shut it down until the third-party person could get them to fix. As I understand it, it's all been put in place. There was no hacking involved exactly. But this is the world we live in. We can't create everything from scratch. We rely on third-party people. So when they have a problem... You know, that's just the way it goes. How sensitive are we to this sort of thing now? You know, we're always hearing the words hacking. We're hearing Russia, 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 all of this stuff. I mean, have we become hyper when it becomes to this sort of thing? Well, I don't think you can become too hyper or too overvigilant when these sorts of things uh, happen. Again, once you have a security problem, the correct thing to do is bring the website down, find out the scope of the problem, fix it as best you can and put it back. I'm not sure today I can ever tell you any website is going to be 100% secure, partly again because we rely on all this code written by all these other people in all these other places. All you need is somebody to have made one mistake somewhere and it puts a vulnerability into your system. But does that mean we shouldn't use it? No. I think we should, but we should just realize that from time to time you're going to have a situation like you had on the weekend. The minute you find one of these bugs, shut everything down, get it replaced, and then put it back online. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, considering what's been happening in the United States recently and the allegations right. floating out of there, there's headlines today, Canada should worry about Russian interference uh, in elections. Are right. Obviously, we can never be fully secure. Uh, are we naive to think as Canadians th- that, we may be in, that we may not be involved in this and that people may not be spying on us? Yeah, that would definitely be a naivety out there. Let me, let me give you a different example, if I can, Scott. Uh, for five years, I was the chief information officer of McMaster University. Uh, as such, the security of our networks was part of my, under my responsibility. And I can tell you that in a, a typical minute, in a typical minute, there's more than a thousand attempts to break into our networks. Hmm. Now, 99.9999% of them are rebuffed. Every now and again, some hacker finds a vulnerability that we were not aware of. But we are. this is just the nature of hacking. They're going to check every system of every company, every government, everything in the world. Most of the times, not to actually steal your secrets. Most of the times, they're just trying to break in to cause mischief and damage. In other words, at the university, the biggest thing they were trying to do was to use somebody's email address, and then they would send out spam using that email address to get around uh, whatever other protocols you have in to avoid spam. Right. So it wasn't terribly dangerous stuff, but we're always under attack, everyone who's got a computer. So likewise, if you have a home computer, you need to invest in that security software because you could be the weakest leak in your neighborhood, and those hackers are going to find it and exploit it. So you you bring up a valid point. Who is the hacker now? Because again, we you know uh, years ago it was oh somebody in a, in their parents' basement, this that and the other, blah blah blah. blah. But now we're hearing about you know government espionage, different right. countries, la 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 la. Who are the people that are hacking into it? Is it people just <laughs> trying to find an email address so they can sell some things, or is it is it espionage? Right. So that's another part of the problem is that hacking is not just one person. Just like there's not something called cancer, there are different forms of cancer. Mm -hmm. There's not one kind of hacker. There are different kinds of hackers. Uh, Certainly we know that in North Korea, uh, Russia, some parts of China, 
uh, government-paid individuals are sitting in rooms trying to break into uh, more secure systems, either government systems or or business systems, trying to get uh, da- uh, damage them or try to get information from them or try to do something nefarious. Those would be let's call them the professional hackers. Then we have just a boatload of amateur hackers. People saying, "I wonder if I can do something. I wonder if I can get in. I wonder if I can make something else happen." And then you have the spammers, those people who are simply looking for a vulnerability so they can send out uh, emails from a Nigerian prince looking for your $1,000 contribution to his cause. Mm-hmm. So there isn't one kind. Again, as a result, if I'm trying to defend against them, I have to think in now different modes. I have to think about the, the amateur hacker, the professional hacker, the nefarious espionage person. That's what makes uh, trying to protect against these things so difficult. And actually, to be candid, I'm surprised we don't have more of these problems. Uh, news headlines today, Canada should worry about Russian interference in elections. Uh, does this, how do you have a confidence when we're talking about online voting in the future when we hear stories like this? <laughs> right. Well, of course, we don't have online voting to a great extent just yet, and that's something you have to worry about. That's a very real threat if you started to make it more convenient. And the argument has been, let's have online voting. That might get the response rate up, making people go to a poll, stand in line to put a, a piece of pencil mark on a piece of paper. That's so That's so 19th century, Scott. Let's get into the 21st century. But then with that comes the chance that there could be some sort of hacking. I, I can tell you on campuses, not necessarily in Canada, but in the United States, we've seen some elections on campuses, say student elections or elections to be on the Board of Governors, that have had to be nullified because somebody got in and change the vote tallies uh, in that way. And these are elections that really don't amount to a hill of beans. Hmm. When you're actually electing the president or the governor or a prime minister or a premier, those really count for something. Now, should Canada be worried? Yes, in the sense that as one of the 11 biggest economies in the world, what we do here counts. I'm not so sure that hackers are trying to break in and, and do something to the Guatemalan elections or the elections in Gabon, but um, this is the kind of thing that's now possible. So if I'm sitting in North Korea, I'm just going to look at any possible target and see what I can do. Uh, Lots of chatter about uh, countries within the UN increasing spending on military. Uh, Should this be part of that? Should it be less about machinery and and infrastructure and and more about Internet infrastructure? Yeah, no, absolutely, Scott. So uh, it's not just about tanks and and battleships and planes. It is things like uh, Internet technologies and, and how do you protect against them, or how can you even launch a response using the Internet? Much like today, we have to talk about drones and using that technology. As we add these technologies to the world, they can also get added to the military response that we have to prepare for. That being said, are we ahead or behind on this? I mean, obviously, uh, it's like walking. I was with, I was chatting with our last guest. It's like walking into a room. You don't really know what you have until you start a conversation. Uh, right. are, are we keeping up with this? I'm going to say yes. I think Canada was certainly among the leading nations to be aware of this kind of a problem and, and to begin to try to establish fixes for this problem. As usual, you know, we are, even though we're a big economy, we're still quite small in comparison to places like Germany or the United Kingdom or the United States. Uh, and therefore, we tend to uh, support them in their efforts. And then as they learn things, they quickly share them with us, and then we deploy them over here. Canada is a, is one interesting thing about Canada is that we have a rather small population base in the second largest geographical area in the world. And so where we have been a leader is on uh, protections for telecommunications. 
things like the phone, we've got to find a way to have us have these conversations across a very large country. We have done a better job, for instance, in, in protecting that infrastructure. But having said that to you, the United States and others, they share. And that's why we have things like NATO and, and these uh, G20 nations. It's all about sharing this technology. So I don't think we're behind, uh, but we're, we're certainly among those playing this game, trying to do the best we can. How does having a uh, U.S. president that accuses another president of wiretapping just inflame all of this? Mm-hmm. Well, I, again, I, I'm going to say here's the good news. I think one of the things that we're all learning, Donald Trump has now been in office for 50 days, and the world hasn't come to an end. <laughs> what we've learned is that the president is not really that much a factor. You have a bureaucracy in government, all these different departments, all these different people doing their various tasks. And even though the president flavors the direction that they are in, st- it's like moving a, an ocean liner. You know, you can really lean on it. Maybe you can move it a degree or two, but really it's, it's almost self-guiding. And that's the good news here is I don't think Donald Trump's attitudes have had really any significant impact down below the first couple of layers. Um, And I think those people who know what their job is and know what the risks are and know what they're trying to do, they haven't been, uh, their eye hasn't gone off the ball at all. He has not been a distraction. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at a group school of business, McMaster University. Marvin, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Now I'll get back to my taxes. (laughs) All right. Uh, With a pencil and eraser. There he goes. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Senator John McCain, a very well-respected Republican uh, senator and war hero and such, uh, basically said over the course of the weekend uh, to Donald Trump, either uh, tell us all about this wiretapping scenario or uh, retract the, the statement. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're the president. You're the, you're the grand poobah. So if you want to do something or find out, you, you can just ask because you're the guy. You're the one in charge of everything. So you can't stand there and go, I don't know what's going on because you're the president. And if you don't know what's going on, you certainly have access to the people that do. So I guess, as Senator McCain's saying, why don't you answer your own questions? Uh, to talk more about all of this, Michael Diamond is with us, principal of Upstream Strategy Group in Toronto, a conservative political pundit, and he is with us now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'd rather be on nap day. <laughs> I bet you Donald Trump would rather be on nap day as well today. <laughs> or maybe just golf course day. That'd be fine, too. Uh, how does he get out of this one, Michael? And, you know, uh, now McCain, obviously a well-respected guy, said, hey, Either poo or get off the pot here. What are you doing? How is he going to react to this? You know, with John McCain, we've seen that Donald Trump is in, Donald Trump is incredibly thin-skinned to begin with. Seems to be always more on guard with John McCain, and I think that's because John McCain represents everything that Donald Trump isn't: hmm. respectable, a military, a war hero, a, a true public servant, a true conservative Republican. Although many actual conservative Republicans question that about McCain, but he's certainly more conservative than Donald Trump. So he's everything that Donald Trump isn't. He's also someone who's liked, he's a Republican who's liked by the media, he's a Republican who's liked by Democrats and moderates and independents, and that's something where Donald Trump fails at each and every time. So I think adding insult to injury, Donald Trump doesn't like when anyone questions him, but it's particularly bad when it's a person like John McCain. So McCain has called him out, said today, come on, let's go. Uh, let's let's do something. How does he react to this? Does he can he just let uh, silence continue? 
he if he's smart about it, he'll pretend that uh, he'll ignore John McCain. But if we know anything about Donald Trump, that's going to be incredibly difficult for him. And I'm sure we'll wake up one of these mornings to some sort of Twitter rampage against uh, the uh, senator. But uh, McCain is 100 percent right, in, in my opinion, that the president can't throw out an allegation like that, especially such a heavy allegation like that against the predecessor, without some sort of uh, either retraction, if there's no meat to it, or actually showing uh, showing the evidence. We know how incensed Republicans were when former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid said that very good sources told him that Mitt Romney's never paid income tax in X number of years, and uh, they were right to be upset about that because it turned out to not be true at all, and uh, uh, Donald Trump should not behave in a way uh, with impunity from the Republicans that Harry Reid was not able to. So will his answer be to just create more confusion rather than giving us a yes or no? Uh, probably, because I, I'm going to go on a limb here and say I don't think there's much meat that could be added to uh, the allegations from the president last Saturday. So uh, the only thing I think he can do is confuse the situation more. Why doesn't he just answer his own questions? He is the president. I mean, he's pretending like there's another higher power than him. He has the ability to get to the bottom of all of this if he so chooses, does he not? And that's sort of where he and his team are are trying to confuse us by saying that... uh, It's someone else. Well, there's things he knows that we don't know. But if he knows that... Why doesn't he share it? And I think that's what the, the senator, uh, Senator McCain, is getting at. If, if, if indeed there are things that the president knows that got him to share this information sort of on Twitter, throw it all out there, bud. Will people, are people going to use this and come to the conclusion that Trump is creating the fake news he accuses the traditional media of doing? Oh yeah, I mean, and he's been he's been really good at that, and um, he's he's been gifted at that for years. And it's either been fake news or fake controversy or a fake joke or whatever. But he's been very good at this for for a very long time. Uh, so uh, Kellyanne Conway came out, and, and 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 normally what happens is you know Trump flies off, and it's up to the Conways and the Spicers and whoever of the world to try to decode it. And, and, and smooth it all over. Uh, she sort of added to it by saying, well, you never know where this stuff comes from, even alluding, you know, to the past WikiLeaks thing that, you know, your microwave could be, could be spying on you. How, how do you interpret all of that? Well, I mean, we've got to sympathize with, with her and Sean Spicer a bit, because what else are they to say? Yeah, that's so, so true, I mean, isn't used, it? They've used the line about, you know, there's things he knows that you don't know because he's the president and you're not the president, and there's things he knows that I don't even know because he's the president, and we're just going to, you know, let's, let's just look away, nothing to see here. The allegations uh, might make sense because he's the president and you're not. So really, what else are they to say? I mean, yeah. they have a job to do. They don't want to quit quite yet. He hasn't been impeached yet. He hasn't been forced from office yet. So they're between a rock and a hard place. It's easy to gang up on Sean Spicer and Kellyanne Conway, but they're serving the president. They have a job to do. They're serving their party as well, and they've been around in that party a lot longer than Donald Trump has, and I'm sure they hope to be around a lot longer than Donald Trump will be in, involved in that party So and in the politics in the, the United States. So it's really a no-win situation for them. It would be fascinating to talk to them after the fact, after all this and their role in it is gone just to see 
see what the circus was like. There's going to be a great book. Uh, I know every uh, one of them's got a book. And you know Scott McCullen, who was a George W. Bush's press secretary for the time, wrote a book. What happened? And it was pretty negative. And David Frum, who had been a speechwriter early on, was the first to leave that administration. And uh, th- there were certainly problems in that administration and questionable uh, policies and questionable operations. Uh, pales in comparison to what we're seeing now. This is going to be one day a very fascinating book, Stranger Than Fiction, uh, quite quite sure. Yeah, really. Uh, Michael, well, that's what uh, Alec Baldwin said about his impersonation. He said, you know, we're to do parody, but now it's got to the point where we're so close you can't tell between the two. <laughs> Except in the actual impersonation. So maybe what Alec should be doing is perhaps move more towards being presidential as opposed to comedic. <laughs> that would be great if, if he could push the president, yeah. That's right, push him in the opposite direction. So... Michael, and and, and I've asked everybody this, why would Trump even start this? This whole thing was self-made. He started all of this himself. He created this problem. Why would he he tweet that tweet on Saturday? He may very well believe it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he may have been told by someone that it's possible, and that person might not know what they're talking about. It might be true. Who knows? I, I, I highly doubt it. It might be that there was a wiretap on Trump Tower because the Justice Department sought a warrant and had probable cause to get an issue, which will be a real big problem for him and not for not for uh, the Obama administration. So there's a lot we're going to uh, you know have to learn about this and and see if if there's nothing there. It's, you know, the president just behaving like a buffoon. It is what it is. But if there's if if it actually was true, it probably reflects even more poorly on uh, the uh, incumbent president. So there's there's a lot we need to learn, but I think he probably believes that. Uh, it uh, may very well not be true. It likely isn't true. And uh, when have facts gotten in the way of uh, a nice Donald Trump Twitter storm? Will he, do you think he will react to this, or do you think he's just hoping it will all go away? Because you know it won't. <laughs> no, he'll, look, he'll have a hard time not reacting to John McCain, especially since it's John McCain. But we're John McCain or Lindsey Graham, it's going to be nearly impossible for the president not to take their bait. If it had been someone else, maybe he could uh, withstand that temptation. But I don't see how he doesn't uh, bite uh so who who will out who else will speak out on this, Michael, and who else should be speaking out on this? You know, I think you'll probably see some other Republican senators. Uh, if you look at some of the ones who voted against uh, Betsy DeVos, for example, the one Trump cabinet uh, secretary confirmed so far with some Republican opposition. So you'll see senators like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, perhaps, and uh, Michael Steele, a former chair of the Republican National Committee. But there's really no one who's going to have the stature or prominence of John McCain. Even Lindsey Graham, who has run for president more recently, doesn't have that prominence. So we're not going to see anyone bigger uh, than John McCain or with more credibility. I'm sure you know, you'll know you see Arnold Schwarzenegger for a host of reasons speak out, but not the same uh, mm. impact as... Uh, so as he's the most thing. credible of all that, that, will, that will cross both sides of the house on this. Exactly. Yeah. What about Barack Obama? Where do you think his head is in all of this? Do the Democrats owe this discussion, anything to this discussion? Or are they just best to, I'm just not saying a word, let this one implode? You know, I think uh, they, they should probably let it linger for a bit longer, and as he continues to refuse to substantiate his claims, uh, attack it then. Where does this leave the rest of the Republican Party? Uh, in, uh, just like his staff, in between a rock and a hard place, because 
you see if you're John McCain and you speak out against against us or just question it. I mean, I don't think it's so egregious for anyone to say, you know, if you're going to make a claim, a claim that's suggesting that somebody else committed a felony, you ought to provide proof of that or at least point to some sort of proof. So, so look, John McCain didn't do anything all that egregious. And look at the pylon he's getting from, uh, from quote unquote, you know, the Republican Party, which has changed so much in the last uh, 16 to 24 months because of Donald Trump. So, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And McCain's just the guy who doesn't care. But for a lot of the people, especially some of these uh, newer members of the Senate or the House who want to be reelected and want to be renominated and have the type of career John McCain did, speaking out might prevent that. Do you think, uh, well, the, the initial rumor was this all came from Breitbart and some talk show host. Uh, why don't they even just draw that connection? Or are they doing, do they want to stay as far away from that as possible? You know, they, they 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 can continue to point that, and they're going to have that to point to on so many occasions, I think, coming forward. So they might as well. But, you know, if, if I were looking at this, how to get the best mile from it, uh, when, when your opponent uh, has an implosion of their headquarters, don't get in the way. Let, mm. let the chips fall first. So let, let the Republican Party shake it down a bit more. Let the media shake it more uh, down a bit more, and then the Democrats can come in. And, and remember, Barack Obama is only going to become more popular over the next weeks and months. So uh, coming to his defense later will be even easier and even more impactful. What a gift for him. It doesn't matter what he ever did as president, right or wrong. He, he'll never be judged on that. He'll be judged on being better than the guy that followed him. He wasn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he had it pretty easy because George W. Yeah. Bush was certainly incredibly unpopular when he left the office, and I think time will fix that. But uh, mm. Donald Trump also has made us look back to the stable days of the Obama administration with some uh, rose-colored glasses, even for those of us who do not like uh, the former president. Speaking of the Democrats, Democrats, uh, Hillary uh, visible this weekend. Some are saying, shh, 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 no, we don't need you anymore. We need to separate our, ourselves from you and start afresh. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's time for the Clinton regime to uh, close down. They've been reputed twice, uh, once by the Democratic Party in 2008 when they uh, selected Barack Obama, who was much more inexperienced and uh, a longer shot for the election than Hillary Clinton. And then this time where the Repub- the Democratic base was you know, tentatively for her, but there was certainly a lot of opposition within that and some funny games that played to get her the nomination. But then the country rejected her, and it's, it was because she did not offer a choice, and uh, Bernie Sanders and that wing of the party is a way they need to look. They can't be diet Republicans. Howard Dean said that when he ran for president in 2004. If they were going to offer a diet version of the Republican Party, who would vote for them? You know, it's uh, uh, zero calories and a bitter aftertaste. Go for the real thing. And uh, that's what's, that's the, 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 the place where the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party has fallen, that they're diet Republicans uh, in the eyes of many. Why? Oh, you there? Oh, hang on. I almost lost you there. So uh, say your last sentence again. You cut out there. Oh, that that diet Repub- that the Clinton wing has become diet republicanism. So mm. why would anyone go and vote for them when they can go and have the real thing without the bitter aftertaste? All right. One last question, Michael. Uh, do you think Donald Trump has learned any from anything from this uh, over the last week or so? I think Donald Trump would probably look at it and say, what have I taught other people from the last week or so? Because each and every time they say I'm a fool, they say I'm an idiot, and I win. I win bigly. I win huge. We're all going to be tired of all the winning. So uh, ha, 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 laugh at them, but I'm laughing all the way to the White House. 
Where do you see us on the – and then I guess uh, another big day is coming up March 20th. So what will we know in the next week on all of this and, you know, you know, in regards to the FBI and their position on this? I, I don't think we'll find out too much more unless there is actual evidence that the president seems to have access to, like his staff has suggested he might, and he pushes it out. I think what will be really telling is how he handles McCain. If he can if he can just ignore it and not let it get under his skin and not take the bait, that will be a very interesting uh, scenario. Do you think he can? Do you think he can come out of this smelling like roses? Uh, no. No, I think uh, uh, if they find there was a wiretap, it's much more likely that, uh, uh, and there probably wasn't, that the Justice Department sought it uh, because they had a probable cause, and it's probably related to a rush on the campaign, uh, and that would make him look much worse. So is this ju- made up? Is this fake news? So is this just a distraction then, because they're getting too close? Uh, who, who knows? I mean, that might be uh, that might be a good strategic decision, but it also might be generous to consider this uh, strategy. I think it might just be something that he truly believes happened yeah. because somebody joked with him or somebody told him it happened. And why would somebody make that up? But people make up lots of stuff. Wow. So do you think we're going to hear more tweets from him soon? He seems to have subsided since last weekend. Yeah, he has, and uh, good for his team for keeping that in line. Uh, we'll have to see now because, you know, it's like, uh, again, a John McCain or Lindsey Graham comment about Donald Trump is like that uh, red cape at a uh, bullfight. So we'll so, have to see what, uh, he, what that does to him this time. So do you think he's been running around the White House for the last several days going, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Who took my phone? Uh, especially this morning that, yeah. you know, uh, that, that McCain, not a war hero, got <laughs> captured. I, wanna, I need to tell him what I think. Michael Diamond is with us, principal of Upstream Strategy Group in Toronto, conservative political pundit. Michael, I'm going to let you go because Sean Spicer is giving his press conference right now. You don't want to miss that. No, no, alternative fact. All right, have fun. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Carleton University has uh, made a decision, or I guess uh, in one scenario, made a decision to move uh, way scales from its fitness center uh, and the whole idea behind this was uh, it's not about how much you weigh. It's not about that number. It's about wellness. It's about feeling good. It's about doing the right thing. So, you know, scales, we put too much, I guess, emphasis on labels and, and what that goal is. Uh, and they said that this is all part of a decision keeping with current fitness trends, which say it's less about uh, the actual number and uh, more about feeling good. And I can completely understand that. There's lots of people, and again, depending on your you know metabolism and and such, you know, will work out like banshees and and uh, you know have lots of muscle, and it's just distributed in different ways, and and it, you may not necessarily look like somebody who's lean, mean, and in a fighting machine per se. Um, and and I can understand why you know once you get to a certain point in fitness, you may not need to to, to stand on a scale every single day and see how you're doing. That being said. Uh, like with any sort of challenge like this, there are goals. And I can see how standing on a scale and losing a couple of pounds can be an incredible motivation for someone who is in the process uh, of getting in shape. And and I think the other issue I have with this is, again, if you don't want to get on the scale and you don't need the scale to verify or give you any sort of uh, encouragement at all, why do we have to take it away from everybody else? Like, it's nice that these people uh, have decided that this is what's good for them. But where I have a problem with it is they think it's good for you, too. 
And they don't want you stepping on the scale either. And again, I can see both sides of this argument. I can see people wanting to get on the scale and people not needing to get on the scale or maybe even avoiding it. But since when is it up to any institution? Well, because it's in Ottawa, that's why. And that's pretty much the way everything is run there. But why does the institution feel that it's their job to tell everybody else how they should administer their workout routine? Again, if the scale's not important to you or to some, fine. It's not like I go to a fitness center and the biggest lineup in the place isn't for a piece of equipment. It's for the scale. I don't see that. But I can see how people use it as part of their routine and regime and, and, and obtaining goals. And I can see not. But to actually say, well, no, this is best for you. And as a nanny state in Ottawa, I'm telling, I'm, going, I'm taking all the scales and I'm hiding them. Because I've made the decision that this scale is not good for you. And it's not good for you because I don't think it's good for me. And if I don't think it's good for me, then you shouldn't be able to do it either. I think that's the part I really have a problem with in all of this. To talk more about all of this, uh, Ernie Sham- uh, Shamayer is with us, fitness expert, certified personal trainer, former professional football player, uh, and owner of his own fitness outfit. He is with us now. Hello, Ernie. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Scott? I'm doing very well. Thank you for taking the time to join us. What are your thoughts on having a scale <laughs> in the workout room? Well, you know what? I think you changed my mind a little bit as listening to your preamble. That was pretty good. There's so many different ways to look at it. You know, I, I tell people that for me, the the word that I use more than anything as a as I'm a medical exercise specialist, I'm a personal trainer. The thing that I that I tell people the most is it depends. So it's just a tool. It's a tool, like you're saying. If um, I think that traditionally there has been an over emphasis on weight versus other fitness measures, for sure. But I, it's not that it's irrelevant either. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's. I think, you know, that probably the, with my clientele, the, the tool we use the least is the scale for body weight. Um, you know, we do things like girth measurements. I, do, I work with people on functional outcomes. So if somebody has back pain and they want to golf again, uh, their outcome will be being able to golf pain-free. Um, as, as, a, as a side result, they may lose weight, you know, in, with the workouts. But it depends on what somebody's goal is. And also, uh, you may start to lose weight at the beginning of a routine, but then as you start to build muscle, that may slow down right. a bit. You know, um, there was a great point. I read the article actually before before we, we were talking, and uh, you know, for an average person who's at a, an appropriate weight who has doesn't have any endurance, their their goal might be to get more endurance, right? But if it's somebody who's in a in an event that needs that has to make weight, like a like a, a wrestler, or a boxer, right. mm-hmm. you know, they need it as a tool. So it it definitely should be something that's made available. But I don't think that it should be the only measure, you know. So it's not. I don't think it's a, a black and white thing. It, there is some gray area. Well, I think um, they're already making. I think they're sort of making it sound like before everybody starts any sort of physical education class or any gym thing, the first thing you do, okay, let's get on the scale and see how you've done. Yeah, yeah. You know what? When I was when I was playing um, college football and pro football, you know, I was, my playing weight was between two twenty, you know, or maybe two fifteen, two twenty five around there. When I was playing at, I played at Purdue University, I had 6% body fat. So I was lean and muscular. 
according to the scale, I was in the extreme obesity range. Yeah. So, so there is some danger to that. And Scott, if you were, if you started to work out and you gained 10 pounds of muscle, which is amazing, and you lost 10 pounds of fat, you know, they, they offset each other. So if you're, if the only way that you're measuring your progress was by the scale, mm-hmm. you would, it would say that you're a total failure, but you'd be healthier, you'd be fitter, your clothes would fit differently, you'd look different, your energy would be better. So, you know, so I, I don't think in that case that the scale is, is telling you um, really what's happening. Um, but again, it's one, it's one measurement. So I think one of the questions that I ask my clients when I meet them in, a, in, a, in the initial consultation is um, what would you like to be able to do now that you, what would you like to be able to do that you can't do now? So it's putting mm. the emphasis on something other than just how much, you know, if the person says to me, I want to... <laughs> I want to lose 15 pounds. Well, that's the tool that we use to measure it, right? I want to be able to get on the scale and play the same I did in high school or something like that. Plus, then, you can see that this may be the motivation at the be- at the very beginning of a fitness routine, but as you get into it, you find that that's more relevant because you see the other right. benefits. Right, but again, it depends. If you have somebody who is who's lean and light, mm-hmm. but has no endurance and no strength, and their blood pressure is through the roof, yeah. and they have uh, back pain, then... Who cares how much they weigh? Who cares if they, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's, uh, it, it, but it really depends. And if you have, you know, if you're in a weight loss program, obviously the, the goal is to lose pounds. But I, I think, um, you know, there are some programs who measure all of their, all of the results. They are only on the scale, you know, and, and you might see somebody losing muscle mass, like really good lean muscle mass, which is really is your metabolism. If they're losing that and getting on the scale and they're getting, and they're celebrating it, that's, that's not good either. Hmm. Because, you know, it, it, you, you always hear about that dreaded plateau. So when somebody's measuring pounds lost on the scale, if they're not maintaining their muscle, if they're losing lean body tissue, eventually the, the, the rate that you're losing weight slows down. And that's, a lot of it is because your, your metabolism is slowing. And so, you're, you know, the way that you're going to lose it is, is by decreasing calories and really starving yourself and just to, to lose the number. And it might be that you're losing water weight and it's not, you know, it's not a good yeah. thing. And that's, and that's where the girth measurements and the, the, you know, the body fat calipers and that kind of thing. So that gives you a better all-around picture. So, uh, you know, you can see how this could be both a positive and a negative for those that like to jump on the scale. Because obviously when you first start to lose weight, it may come yeah. off quite quickly. And then as you, as you mentioned, as you get farther into it and it's yeah. not as much as water and stuff, you, th- that rate will slow down a bit, which could be discouraging, I guess. I'm working like, like a banshee and I'm not losing the weight yeah. I once yeah. was. And what happens if you do, if you are losing your metabolism, which is your muscle, and you, the rate slows down, eventually you start to gain it back. But yeah. when you gain it back, you're not gaining it back as lean tissue. You're gaining it back as fat. Mm-hmm. So you might end up back at the same number where you started, but now your, your percentage, you're, you're fatter with a slower metabolism. So it's harder the next time. And that's where, you know, you hear about the, the roller coaster. People lose and gain the same 15 pounds, and it gets harder and harder as you go along. It's because you've you've damaged your metabolism and it's harder to do. So, you know, the, the, the number one thing I do with people if they're trying to get leaner and, and focusing on, on leanness versus body weight is to do some muscle building where their metabolism will speed up. The thing is, though, if you're gaining some muscle, there's some pounds associated with that. Yeah. So the scale is not a great tool for that. But again, I wouldn't remove it and say there should be no scales anywhere. It depends on what the... And if somebody... You know, and if you've got very, very large um, weight loss goals, like 150 pounds, and yeah, of course, it's going to be much more relevant, you know. So what do you think the university, you know, here we are crapping on, uh, on Carleton. What do you think yeah. they were trying to do here? 
Well, I think um, the intention is not bad. However, it's a little bit um, narrow-minded and short-sighted because there is it does have value. You know, it's like if I said we should take kettlebells out of the, all, all gyms because some people get hurt sometimes doing kettlebells. Well, yeah. lots of people use them in the right way, right? It's Again, it's a tool. So, I mean, there are people who get hurt on in doing CrossFit, but it doesn't mean there shouldn't be a CrossFit program. So it's it, almost like, you know, um, we're trying to make exercising easy. You know, compare exercising and what you do and what your vocation is and what you're trying to help people do compared to playing kids' athletics. It's yeah. not about winning or losing. It's about sportsmanship. It's about having fun, um, you know, and perhaps taking the competition edge away from it. At the end of the day, when you're doing something like working out or dieting, you, you really can't dodge the work. You gotta put in the time and the effort. Are we avoiding that? It's, it's Are we trying to make like this is hard work? At the end of the day, it's hard. It's uh, a great equal. It's a great equalizer. I mean, if it's Bill Gates, he has a body, and yeah, yeah good point. Get, the way he's going to get fit is the same way that you're going to get fit, or the same way somebody who's unemployed and you know living on welfare is going to get. It's the same thing. So it's it, at the end of the day, he. He goes in the gym just like you do, just like when Oprah Winfrey did her marathons and people were kind of looking at it, like rolling her eyes, saying, oh, she's got a trainer and she's got a nutritionist and somebody cooking for her. She still has to put in the miles. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Still, that's the equalizer. But so the, the, with the scale, though, it's, it's opening up. One real positive I thought of is, is that it's opening up a conversation hmm. because, again, I think that for too long, and it, it goes back to the, the number on the scale as a measure of health goes back originally, initially, to life insurance policies where they would, they're looking at morbidity and mortality rates. So somebody, that's where I got on, you know, that's where I got weighed and got labeled as extreme obesity with 6% body fat. You know what I'm saying? So you could take, um, if you took The Rock, the wrestler, mm-hmm, or the, mm-hmm. sorry, the, the actor. <laughs> if you, <laughs> Same if you thing, met, really. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson, if you measured him, you know, he's going to be off the charts. His BMI will be off the charts. His morbi- according to that, his morbidity is going to be, his chance for dying is going to be really high. He's a super fit, super healthy, super lean guy. So if you're measuring, the thing is with a scale, you're measuring not just fat, but you're measuring bones, you're measuring muscles, you're measuring everything. So it gives you an overall picture, but I think it simplifies things too much to say, hey, I worked out and I lost eight pounds. Well, you know, you've, you may have heard that expression. Some people will call the skinny fat person. Yeah. Or mm. fat skinny person. You know, yeah. that where they're losing eight pounds of muscle. Yeah. The diet center is congratulating, giving them a gold star. But meanwhile, their metabolism is hmm. getting damaged and their pants are still tight. Yeah. And where are they are, where are they six weeks from then? Um, exactly. You yeah. know, you bring That's up so a very, good. you bring up a very valid point about Oprah. Here's this woman, and whether you follow her career or not, you certainly are aware of the issues that she's had weight up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, this woman has, you know, a million for every pound that she weighs. You know, people look at her and say, my goodness, as you mentioned, you know, she's got access to her cook, a trainer, this, that, or the other, whatever. If she can't do it, how can I possibly do it? And as you mentioned, this is the great equalizer. No amount of money in the world is going to, isn't going to make this any easier for Oprah than it is the person next door. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So why? What's the challenge for someone like Oprah? Help us understand why she can't do it. 
without getting into Oprah's psyche, you know. But, I mean, okay. it's yeah. a generalization, obviously. Just from my experience, I mean, I've been doing this, geez, nine, how long, Twenty, almost 25 years now. Some people will will get attached to an outcome and, and, and will be fired up and will have a plan and a process to move them there. Others just, it's, it's, there's, you know, people talk about motivation. Do they have the motivation or not? And I think if something is not motivating you, it hasn't, it's not that it's important. It's just not as important enough for you. I mean, she has tried and failed and there's other times where she's achieved it. Right. So the, the steps along the way, I think um, like when I'm with somebody, if we, we put together a yearly plan and if your plan, Scott, is to run the around the bay next year, mm-hmm. we break it down into smaller segments and you'll understand every week, week by week, month by month, why you're doing what you're doing. And there's some value and some importance to it. I think when people just start going through the motions, you know, if they learn a workout routine, they don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing. It's just, it's like you're, um, you know, a, a monkey on a bicycle. It's just not, you're not feeling it. So I don't think they're, that they're attached to it, if you know what I mean. Hmm. So um, how would you explain someone like her who has obviously yeah. obtained this goal, achieved their goal many times, but yep. it creeps back on? Um, do, do you do that because you know all you have to do is put your nose back to the grindstone and you can get it off again? That's a that's a that's a tough one. You know, I mean, I, I know in her case, there's a lot of she's been very public about a lot of um, psychological stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Along with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that having something that um, that that you've got it that you're going to achieve and making it a, a public thing can help. Um, you know, I don't know. I with Oprah, I don't know. I don't know enough about her. Yeah. There might be some food addictions. There might be some other underlying issues. You know that that are overriding it. You know, emotional emotional eating, stress eating, that kind of thing. Um, but but at the end of the day, like you were saying, no matter who you are, mm-hmm. you, her lungs are, are going to be burning when she's running, her legs are going to be burning when yeah. she's running, you know. it's in, At the end of the day, it's the same. It's the same. It's, she's a, a human being with with a body on earth, like, like the rest of us, you know. All right, Ernie. So uh, here we are. It's March. Uh, the gyms are now light again because the people yeah. who jumped on board with the New Year's resolutions have since, uh, you know, subsided. What advice do you have for people who want to change their life this way? I would say pick pick something that is that has some meaning to you. Like, I, I, I like to put a plan together for, for clients that has um, what we call peaking moments in it. So if it's trip, if it's um, if it's a race, if it's a birthday party, if it's a photo shoot, whatever it is, something so that you can break down the bigger, longer journey, you know, of, of a whole year into smaller segments. So if you know that golf season is starting, and even if it's artificial, if you if you can't think of anything, you know, when's your birthday? Oh, it's July July first. Okay, right. well that's how many weeks till July first? It's fourteen weeks. So you can break it down into smaller segments. And then look at it as something that has that's going to be progressive. So if you're starting from scratch, the beginning is just about conditioning and it's about um, increasing your tolerance to exercise. Then you should segue after about two to four weeks into something different. It's going to be it might be focused on strength training. Hmm. And then if your goal is something that it requires a lot of endurance, then you know the last four weeks will be about more endurance and mimicking the activity that you're going to do. And and put real meaning to um, to what you're what you're trying to do, rather than just learning. You know, I'm doing the air quotes a workout. You know, so it yeah. actually has some value to it. Uh, I'm guessing most people will say, "I just don't have time, Ernie. I don't have time." Uh, is it that, <laughs> or they just don't have the discipline? They just don't understand how how much you can do with as 
with how little time it takes to actually make a difference. Yeah, good point. And you know, you know, I've had I've, somebody says to me, I literally have, and this is an extreme example. It's not reality, but as an example, somebody says, you know, I got literally like ten minutes. That's it. Yeah. I say, okay. They say, what what can I do with that? I say, okay, well. Get down on the ground. We're going to do 30 seconds, as many push-ups as you can. Then you're going to do as many squats as you can. Then yeah. you're going to do as many burpees as you can. Yeah. And then we're going to repeat nonstop for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, you know, they're going to last for about four minutes, and then they're, they're dead. And that's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not reality, but it shows you that it, it's, focused, um, it's focused work on specific things. And, Scott, I, I, I kind of stumbled on this. I play, I play guitar, and I've been learning since, you know, I used to work with a musician's clinic. So... Uh, a few years ago, when my kids were really little and I was super busy and building a business, I was getting away from the guitar playing that I thought, you know, I thought you had to put in hours and hours a day. And yeah. I found a book called The 10-Minute Guitar Workout. And it was a 10-minute lesson that never, the duration never changed. Hmm. But the intensity and what you were doing built up over the month. And it gave me this, that, an idea of like, wow, we can apply that to fitness, absolutely. And it was unbelievable how much improvement you would make in, say, one week doing 10 minutes a day. You're, at the end of the week, yeah. you're doing things that you literally could not do seven days earlier. But it's it's consistency, and it's consistent, and it's focused. It's about doing it, just doing it. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, doing the right, but not just doing it, doing the right things and mm. doing it in a specific progressive order. Ernie, website we can go to to find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, erniesfitnessworld.com, so E-R-N-I-E-S, fitnessworld.com. Ernie Schrammeyer has been with us, fitness expert, uh, certified personal trainer, uh, trainer, former professional football player, and owner of Ernie Schrammeyer Fitness. Ernie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, have a good day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.